On this episode, I sit down with Blake Benz, who is the host of the Good Advice Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about and unpack how do we take clients from being just clients and move them into the category of stark raving fans. Before we get started, go ahead and hit that subscribe button now and head over to Realtor180.com and join our preferred referral list. Blake, what is happening? Hey, brother. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for jumping on with me. So I'm, of course, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to chat with you again. We uh, did a podcast a while back. I think it was 2020. I know, man. Isn't it crazy how the time just goes by, you know, <laughs> it warped, especially, uh, you know, all this, the C word. It, uh, yeah. it, definitely, it, it warped our lives for a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, I had two kids in the last two years, so it feels like a lifetime ago for sure. Congratulations. <laughs> the last time we chatted, you just yeah. had one newborn. That's right. Yes. So I, I made sure to have my first kid when there was a worldwide pandemic. And smart. Yeah, you never knew if the, the paycheck would be there the next day. So <laughs> I don't know if I'd recommend it, but it's it's been a journey for sure. Yeah, so. it was definitely it was wild times. Um, so I'm listen, I'm stoked to chat with you again. Last time we, on your podcast, we talked a lot about sales this time. I want to shift and talk a little bit more about coaching because what we were talking about in sales on, on that other podcast was essentially the relationship and how that all hinged. And with your coaching, I know the big thing that you focus on is how do you get a thousand raving fans? And as realtors, realtors listening to this, that's pretty much what they need because the, the base of their business is referrals. So yes. Mm -hmm. Let's jump in. Well, and you know, there's nothing, you know, for your listeners, I, I think we all recognize the power of the referral. Like I was at a meeting this morning where, um, uh, I do this entrepreneur meetup in the mornings on Tuesday mornings, and we get a lot of realtors, financial advisors, um, the people who are out there really grinding away to get their book of business. And, um, someone at the table had just gotten a referral and he was like, man, there's just nothing like a referral because it's just, you cut through so much of the noise, uh, you get straight to the sale, uh, and it's just, it's powerful. But I think even beyond that is being able to keep your customers. And that's kind of where I started to really think about this concept of your, your tribe, your 1000 raving fans, which, you know, Sean, you probably know it's, it's, this isn't a new concept. This isn't something that, that Blake came up with. And I've noticed though, that some people, they like to say they came up with this concept. It's not a new concept. It doesn't belong to anyone except for probably the original guy who, who talked about it, who was, um, Kevin Kelly, who put out this essay years ago on your 1000 true fans. And the bottom line is to run a multi-million dollar business. You don't need tens of thousands of customers you need 1000 true fans. And in fact, for some businesses, if your average sale, you know, thinking about your realtors, the amount of money you make on one house closing, um, it's actually substantially less than a thousand. It's actually uh, quite a bit less. You know, I think about my realtor who, you know, I've used them for two houses now. And anytime someone asks about, um, yeah, who should I use to sell my house or buy a new house? I'm like, Oh, you got to go with Chris. Um, and that's because of the experience I've had with him that makes him an easy referral. But I don't know. I found, you know, Sean, I, I, I don't know what your experience is. I found that a lot of people just aren't willing to put in the work to really create 
that raving fan, um, which, you know, we all say we want it, but not everyone is actually putting in the work to create it. A hundred percent. So there's an interesting stat and this is what drove me to reshift and shape my business is on a national level, there was a stat that it said 87% of buyers said they would use the same agent to sell their home. Only 13% actually did. Ah. And so they didn't convert them to raving fans. Well, and I'm curious, I mean, I, what do you think is the disconnect there? Like, why do you think more people say they would, but fewer actually do? So in this business, it's the, the life cycle. Most people will stay in their homes for at least a decade, right? And so it's then how does, as an agent, how do you stay in, in connection with your client for a decade without being a pushy salesperson? Because they may, they may want to buy, they may not want to buy. The, their timeline is their timeline. I think there's a concept there though, which is sometimes like we are so sales minded that sometimes the only time someone comes to mind is when it's time for the sale. Like I, I, and I apologize for your listeners if any of them do insurance also. Um, but I think the insurance community is probably the worst at this in that you know, Sean, when's, when's the only time you ever hear from your insurance provider or your insurance salesperson? Usually when it's time to re-up, right? Or, or, or when or, stop, something's burning down. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> or when you get, um, you know, like the little Christmas card that you get that's like, it's like the pre-printed with like the pre-stamped, like, thanks for doing business with us. I hate those. Yeah, I mean, I know it's and it's kind of ironic because you spend all this money to send these cards out and yet they just go directly in the trash. Now, I'm not saying you don't do it. I am saying that there's a better way to do it. But point being, more often than not, you you never hear from these people except when it's time to buy. It's, hey, Blake, I was reaching out. I want to make sure everything's good. And I'm like, uh, we must be at the end of our we must be at the end of our year. And I think that the same concept applies to realtors in that so often when do you often hear from your realtor when they're fishing for a sale? Hey, I noticed, I noticed, you know, on Facebook, you said you were looking for another house, man. I'd love to help you again. Hey, I noticed you added another, another kiddo to the tribe. You know, what's you thinking about upsizing, downsizing, you know? And I, I think what I found is the people who really create those, those customers who come back again and again, they do a really good job at creating authentic relationships. And I don't mean, you know, you need to be your customer's best friend. You know, you got to stalk them and be around all the time, but it's, it's just genuine touch points as opposed to it's time to buy again. And here I am. It's funny. I'm thinking about real estate or um, insurance now that you brought it up. It's the rule of, um, it's, it's, it's a relationship, like any relationship. If you, let's say your best friend and you call them this week and you're like, Hey, I need a favor. Can you come over and help me move this? And then you call them next week and you're like, Hey, I need, I need to borrow your ladder. And then you call them the following week. You're like, Hey, I need this. And I need that. I want this. I want that. Eventually they're going to stop taking your call. Right. There's nothing in it for them. Relationships. My favorite quote is relationships are not a place to go and get something. They're a place to go and give something. And I, my business 
personally took off exponentially when I really internalized that concept, when I fully understood it and then I applied it to my, to all my uh, marketing that's going out and not just begging people for this and that, but actually giving them things of value, what's value, valuable to them. And just to take this conversation a step further, and I'm not saying, you know, for your listeners that you guys have to necessarily do this, but thinking about my realtor who I will probably use for life. Um, I'm one of his raving fans. He's done two things with my house sale and purchase. The first one was when we moved into our new home now, for whatever reason, it has taken forever to get the internet up and running. Well, so he called, Hey, how's the new home? What do you think about it? And it was a legitimate, like, what, what's going on? How are things going? And I was like, Chris, it's driving me crazy. I can't get the cable company to come out and get the internet up and running, which, you know, I have a podcast, I have an online business. And so he's like, Hey, why well, I, I sold a house to the guy who manages all of like the, the cable laying at the cable company. Do you want me to call him and see if he can get out to your house? And I was like, yeah, he was out that day. Like Damn. he had a crew out that day. So that was one thing he did. And then the second thing he did. So when we sold our house, we had a buyer who was kind of just insane. I mean, you've probably talked with your people about, you know, it being a seller's market and how great it is to sell, or I guess maybe before rates went up. Um, but we had this guy, he was an all cash buyer. We were really excited about him. We needed to stay in the house for like seven days after the closing day. Nothing that's uncommon. And this guy, for whatever reason, after everything was signed and done, started getting cold feet. And this was around the time that rates were starting to go up. It was summertime. And so we were getting nervous about, well, we don't want this guy to pull out. And bottom line, what this guy did was he came back and he said, hey, yes, you can stay in the house for seven days, uh, but on top of the daily rent you're going to pay, I want a cash deposit for some four-figure amount um, so that if you damage the property, I can take it out of that deposit. And I was talking to the guy and was like, you know, we're not going to, we're a small family of four, you know, we're not going to damage the place, but all is to say it was such a high amount comparative to what we were selling it for that I wasn't comfortable putting that money up. And neither was my realtor. He was like, I'm worried this guy's going to take this money and run, um, and come up with like new things that wasn't there in the inspection. So what my realtor did was, Hey, I really want this deal to go through. I'm going to put up the money myself for the deposit uh, that this guy's asking for. And if it turns out there's damage, you can reimburse me or whatever. So he put up the money. Exactly what we were worried about is what happened. This guy took the money and ran and said, I'm not giving you the deposit back. There was a dink on the wall that you guys didn't tell me. Just like simple, you know, stupid stuff. And um, all that to say that my realtor did that because he wanted so badly for the deal to go through for me because he knew how important it was for me to sell the house because you know we as a seller in 2022 you know you're selling a home for 50 60 70% more than what you bought it for he wanted us to get that kind of payday so two quick data points of someone who is definitely not in it for just the absolute immediate sale but is trying to take care of his customers that's different that's something that you don't always see from i don't know about your area but in my area there's over 4000 realtors so it helps him stand out 100% i'm in san francisco which is 
a seven mile by seven mile footprint. Our, San Francisco is smaller than the parking lot at Disneyland. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to give you context. And we have nearly 6,000 realtors in that footprint. Yeah. And so it, it's a highly, highly, highly competitive environment. And with that, to your point, like you do have to be incredibly clever and really figure out how to how to keep the deal together and how to keep your client protected through it all. Um, what's an added layer in, in San Francisco, I'm not sure about your markets, different in all the markets across the U.S., but we don't actually use attorneys. The realtors write up the contracts, then we use escrow. And so if something were to go sideways like that, that's usually when the attorneys get called and that's when it's a problem. Okay. Yeah. In his case, he's an actual, he's the broker. He has the broker's license. He's an actual attorney himself. So it was like oh, a, geez. it was a double whammy, um, where he was like, you don't want to mess with me guys. Like, <laughs> like this is, <laughs> this is not good for you, but, but think about this for a second. And I'm not, you know, if you guys are listening, I'm not saying, you know, you necessarily put up your own cash for, you know, keep a deal together though. Once you get it all the way to that point, it's like, what do we have to do to keep this together? But you know, I think about 3,000, 4,000, in your case, 6,000 realtors. We're in Northwest Arkansas. You know, it's just, I've just found that so many people, they think they are standing out when they really aren't. Like they're just offering the same service as anyone else. That's a tough place to be in. You know, there's 6,000 of you that a customer can choose from. And there's a seven by seven, you know, there's not, I'm, I'm sure there's not always a lot of, of, um, you know, listings on the MLS or is there? I don't know. Right now there is just because we've definitely transitioned the market, but no, I mean, if you do the math and this is true for most all businesses, there's, I can't remember the person's name. They were in Italy, but they made the observation that of a crop, 20% of the crop does 80% of its production. And that's not dissimilar with, with real estate. There's, you know, of the hundred percent of people, there's only 20% are doing 80% of all the business. And so we all know that the top people, and they do tend to think similar to Chris, where they'll think outside of the box and genuinely approach it, approach the problem as a fiduciary and genuinely figure out, okay, how do I put my client's needs in front of my own to help them get to where they want to go? And I, and I think that's the simple lesson that most businesses from martial arts schools to bike shops can, can take away. It's like, how do we actually not bend over backwards and not lose revenue for the client, but how do we actually create a fan out of them? How do we just do that extra thing? It's funny. It's reminded me. I, I can't remember which credit card it was, but I was on the phone for like a staggering like 10 or 15 minutes. And every couple of minutes, the the prompt would come up, the automated, your call yeah, is very, very important. important. <laughs> your call is very important yeah. to us. You are a valued customer. And oh, I was yeah. like, that's such a crock of crap. Oh, like gosh, yeah. you're that's playing so it <laughs> in a moment when it's clearly not even remotely yeah. true. Like it's not even remotely. If I was a valued customer, you would have hired more staff to accommodate the volume that you have. Well, Sean, what I love to hear. So in my conversations, because I'm working with a lot of like you know early business owners, 
is the question of, okay, what makes you different than your competitors? You know, so you got 6,000 different realtors to choose from. All right. So why are you different? And, um, the two things that I hear that I think is just as silly as, you know, your call is important to us is one, I'm just doing it better than everyone else. And I'm like, okay, sure. And then the second thing I hear is, oh, well, I really care about customer service. It's just such a silly answer because like, Everyone says this. Everyone says, oh, customer service, you know, that we bar none, like we're giving the best customer service. But think about the time. Think about how many times you've actually had transformative customer service from a business. You could probably name it maybe five times or less. You know, I think sometimes we as business owners, we think that we're giving stellar customer service when we are just providing basic customer service, but it's, it's few and far between that people are actually going the extra mile. Like imagine if that credit card company, you got off the phone, it got resolved. And then a manager hopped on or someone called you back. Hey, I noticed you were on hold for 15 minutes. Hey, I just want to say, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry you had to wait so long or even, you know, shot, shoot a, um, you know, a text over or something where it's like, Oh, you can't send a text message to a corporation. It's like, well, why not? You know, like these little things that just move the needle. I've just noticed that a lot of people aren't, they're just, they're just disinterested in like those small things, which is funny. Cause those are the things that actually make the biggest difference. Yeah. Especially if you're again, well, if we put it to small business owner, realtor, you generally get overwhelmed in your day. You have 50,000 emails you have to respond to. And then you think, I should send that text to that person and acknowledge them as a human being. And then you go, yeah, I'll, I'll do this other stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think if you don't, as a small business, if you don't structure it in in a way to actually stand out and, and be unique, it's not it's not going to happen. And not only is it not going to happen, it's not going to get trained, you know, as a leader, you're not going to instill that thing into the staff who, who go out and do that for you. I think we, as business owners, we really struggle with like delayed gratification in the sense of like, you know, sending that text, sending, uh, you know, I tell people instead of like insurance companies. So there's a, a woman who I was talking to who she was, she had started up like this kind of boutique, insurance agency. And, um, she was like, you know, how do I, how do I get my foot in the door? And I was like, you know, you should be sending like a thank you card to your customers. That is a genuine thank you card and something that you handwrite, not the pre-printed crap. Like you should just go buy like a thing from Walmart. I mean, if your average customer is giving you however many hundreds of dollars, go buy a $5 card, take five minutes, write their name, Thank you, yada, yada, and then sign it. Don't stamp it, sign it. And she's like, oh, that's so great. Which is, here's what's so funny to me is you give a concept like this and someone's like, oh my gosh, that's so great. And it's like, it, is it really though? Cause it seems pretty, <laughs> it seems pretty basic, you know? But so anyway, um, I met up with her a few weeks later and I was like, hey, so how did that, how did that go? And she's like, oh, I just, I just never got around to it. And I was like, that right there, that's, that's the difference between the businesses who are make, they're developing those raving fans and the ones who aren't, you know, it's the power of intentionality. It is. And it's not hard. It's time consuming sometimes, you know, like, sure. but it's not, it's not like conceptually hard, like Sean, and I'm, I'm feeling bad that I'm going to say this because now I'm wondering if I did this for you. So everyone who comes on the show, on my show, gets a handwritten card at the end of the year. Um, but now that I'm thinking like, did I send Sean a card? I don't know if I did. <laughs> but, but 
so what I do is I literally go out and I buy like a whole sleeve of thank you cards. And I, I literally, until my hand is cramping, Hey, Sean, Hey man, thanks for coming on the podcast and talking about, and like, I literally look up their episode. Like, what did they talk about? Oh yeah, that was really great. Hey, that was, this was a really great concept. You're always welcome back, you know, sign Blake. Uh, and I send this off. I've sent this to other countries because I have people on the podcast who are from all these different countries and it is hard in the sense of it's extremely time consuming. It's a little bit obnoxious when you're on like number 50 and you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is just a lot of work and time. But it's not, this isn't conceptually hard. It's just that people don't, they just, they, you know, it's like, it's delayed gratification. It's like, I, that person may not ever read it. They may throw it in the trash. Maybe they don't even care. Maybe Blake will forget to send it to him. Who knows? You know? And so, so why do it? I guess. Listen, I mean, it's, it's not dissimilar of you have a dentist and you get on your birthday, a postcard that's printed out and it maybe has a printed signature, not actually handwritten, but just like photocopied. And, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how amazing does that make you feel? It goes into my trash immediately. Unless immediately. they put it, unless they put a gift card in it, then I'm like, okay, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise go straight to the trash. Don't even think about it. Opposed to a card that's in a not white envelope that's shaped rectangular or let's say more square and there's a handwritten address to you on the outside you're going to open it and then when you do if there's a handwritten note regardless of who it's from the value goes way way up we send typically so the the rule is with my team we have to send two thank you cards a day it doesn't matter who you send them to you just have to get in the habit of gratitude be by being appreciative of being in this business and having the amazing opportunity. And some days it's a struggle and some days it's easy, but you can send a thank you card to the nanny uh, who watches your children or the teacher who is teaching your children all day or the person who cut your hair or the person at the coffee shop. Do you know how amazing that would be to receive a letter or a, a handwritten note that says, hey, thank you so much for the exceptional service. Your employees are outstanding. You become my favorite coffee shop. Like just, just the virtue of you doing that makes you feel good. And then the recipient feels exponentially better. And not only that, it's not going to get tossed in the garbage. It's going to sit, it's going to sit on their desk. Even better. And this is and I'm not this doesn't take away from the the genuineness at all, but it will come back to you in the sense of They'll, it'll go in a desk drawer. It'll go on a desk in a corner. And then as they're doing their new year's, you know, cleanup of the desk, they're going to see it. They're going to think of you and they're going to call you perfect timing. I need to change my insurance company. People really struggle. And it's kind of funny to me because we talk so, you know, people on the internet are so, oh, I'm just so authentic. I'm just so authentic, you know? And it's like, you know, everyone's saying this, but we know the people, the few and far between people who actually are authentic same thing's true about intentionality. We know the people who are actually being intentional and we're covered by, we're covered up by this every single day. Like if you're active on LinkedIn, like I am, we're all getting the messages that is like the LinkedIn connection request. Hey, I thought, you know, we have mutual, whatever. I thought we could connect, you know? And then you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, uh, which I accepted because for me, it's one more set of eyes to put on my content, but you know, you hit accept. And then what happens like eight seconds later, 
Hey, I want to tell you about this. You know, it's perfect for you. And I'm like, you don't even know me, but, but the point being we're inundated with this lack of intentionality so much that, that thank you card that you're talking about that takes at most 10 minutes of your day. It, it, it's like screaming from a rooftop, how amazing your business is. Yeah. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn also, as well as other social platforms. I'm blown up all day. People go to my website. They're blasting me with like, you should buy this. You should buy that. Plus my email. Um, when salespeople take a different approach, it usually disrupts me enough where I will listen to their pitch. Um, and, and I think more importantly is if somebody's like, hey, listen, can I set up a time to talk to you? Five minutes. And if at the end of the call, it doesn't make sense, like we can go our separate ways. And if they honor that whatever X amount of time they've asked for and they get to the end, they said, hey, it's been five minutes. Do you want to proceed? Like that unto itself is a gift. But it's they try to just constantly blast the sale but in all of this if you give a card and you're not asking for a referral you're not asking for them to subscribe or sign up or like or share or do anything you're just saying thank you and giving that to them that hose holds so much more weight than any ask and if you did that to that individual a couple times and then you ask them for a favor. Hey, can you check out this newsletter? Hey, can you do this? They're going to be way more inclined to because you, they, they actually feel that you're being authentic and you're not having to tell them that you're being authentic. If you have to tell them you're doing it, yeah. you're not doing it. <laughs> There's no better feeling though than calling someone or, you know, shooting off an email or I'll do like the voice memo on LinkedIn. Um, but it'll be like, you know, Hey, just want to tell you how much I appreciate, you know, what you're doing or thanks for being a customer or being a customer in the past or what have you. And I, I send like a very like genuine, like, it's not a canned message. It's not a copy pasted message. It's like, and it's, and it's brief. It's just, a, it's just a genuine thank you. Hey, thanks for, you know, whatever it is. I just always love the reaction of, um, the short silence, like where they're waiting to see if you're going to then sell something. And then when, especially when you do this in person, you do it over the phone, you can hear kind of like the pause of them, like waiting for, Oh, and also I want to say about this great new deal. But when you don't say that you get that pause and they're kind of like, Oh, Oh, oh well, uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're like thanking you for thanking them. But that's my point is like, it's so like, everybody wants to stand out these days. Everybody wants to stand out. People are throwing thousands of dollars at their marketing budgets to stand out. And the secret to standing out is so stupidly simple. It's just that people, for whatever reason, are so thirsty for the sale that, you know, they just don't have the patience to do it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. It's rushing the sale. And then once you, if you rush a sale, you'll blow out that lead. And then once the lead is blown, you have to go find another lead. I don't want that to be mistaken for somebody ignoring you or somebody who hasn't said no, but hasn't directly said yes either. Like, and, and from a seasoned salesperson, you have to figure out the nuances to it and really understand the separation between sales and marketing. And to, to balance the two, and this is, 
I'm saying this, I'm sharing this from the perspective of a small business, whereas, you know, we're not United Airlines with like a multi-million dollar budget in, in both categories, right? We're, we're small. And so we have to do this little dance. Um, and I just, I think from more often than not, if we slow down, we will go exponentially faster, which is counterintuitive. But if we just take the time to, you take the time to have this one-on-one interaction. Now take the time to add to it, to your point, you know, send the card. There was a salesperson, you'll have to look it up or whoever's listening will have to look it up because I don't have it in front of me, but he holds the world's records for selling the most cars in the United States. This one individual sold more cars than any one dealership in the entire U.S. His strategy was he would send handwritten cards daily. Like per month, it was thousands of cards. And everybody knew if you're going to buy a car, you go to this guy. And not only that, your family members went to him, your grandchildren went to him, your grandchildren's kids went to him. Like it just, this guy was so embedded in the community by sending handwritten cards that it catapulted him past everybody else. But he had to slow down to do it. Like we think about, oh, am I good at sales? Am I not good at sales? Like you hear a story like that and it's like, well, can you, can you take the time to send a card? Everyone's like, yes, I can. It's like everyone's capable of selling. Everyone's capable of of growing your business. The question is, will you? And, and here's the thing: is I've I've just found that a lot of people don't have the patience for the long term sale, which is funny because again, getting back to the start of the conversation, you know, do you want do you want that person who's going to use you every time they buy or sell a home? I mean, outside of like you know difficult customers, the answer is absolutely yes. And so it's funny how we will ignore the process, the long-term game of earning someone's trust to buy from us in chasing after, you know, oh, that person's not going to buy. So I'm going to go to the next one. Or I, I think about, I had a guy who, um, this guy was trying to sell me on something. I don't remember what it was, but he called, he called my business number. He emailed me. He somehow got my personal cell phone number. I don't know how he got it called that, um, basically I felt like he was stalking me. And after about a week and a half of this, I finally responded to an email and I said, Hey, Doug, or whatever his name was. Um, I, I appreciate the, the hustle of trying to get a hold of me. Um, and since you've put in so much work, here's what I'd be willing to do. I'll go ahead and tell you, I already know I'm not going to buy because I just don't need that service right now. But because you're obviously working hard, how about we get a cup of coffee or jump on a phone call and I'd be happy to give you some genuine referrals for people who could use your service. Um, but I need to know more about like what it is and all this kind of stuff, uh, which, you know, and maybe I'm on another planet, but I would be thinking here's, here's an in to talk to this person and get some, some, some actual referrals rather than just, you know, whatever this person never responded again, never reached out to me, never, never. I, I don't even know what happened. This person d- disappeared into the ether. I have no idea what happened to them because as soon as I said, I'm not going to buy, they were gone and they were moving on to the next person. And I think that's the issue with today's sales world sales world is it's like, I have to chase that sale immediately. And if I can't get it, I'm disinterested when that, 
when the long-term game is actually what builds up your pipeline pipeline to be a longer-term sustainable business. 100%, man. Um, in me, having done sales for two decades, the fatal mistake that person made was the short-term. Is You basically gave them a not now answer, not a no never answer, which is distinctly different. Right. And all that he would have had to ask is grab you for coffee, actually make a bond, make the the physical connection. If you text somebody, the value is low. If you send them a printed postcard, the value is low. If you sit down eye to eye and have a coffee with somebody, the value is very high, high quality contact. And all that he would have had to ask is what would have to happen for that to happen? Meaning, what would have to change in your business for you to make this purchase or to be in a position to really evaluate if this would be a good opportunity for you? And he would have then had an answer or at least more clarity as to where you were at. Cause you may have said, Oh, I just need to hire this one person. I'm actually hired. I'm in the process. They'll be hired next month. So we'll probably be in the position in a month from now, but he never stuck around long enough to find out he could have just hung out for one more month and then had a sale or you in this conversation could have said, Hey, I actually have a podcast. I really love your tenacity and your energy and your enthusiasm. And let me introduce you to all these past guests who I think would actually benefit from what you have to share. But he stopped short because for one reason or another, he, he did. And that's sad because it was literally all right there. He had a great in with a cold customer, someone he didn't know and, uh, you know, didn't chase after it. So it's too bad. But again, that that's today's sales world is if I can't get the sale today, I'm moving on. You know, it's funny. I actually, I saw a guy who was complaining on LinkedIn cause he got like shadow banned or something. And, um, so LinkedIn basically like soft banned him because he was adding too many connections in a day. And he was using like his business accounts to get around, like whatever the daily limit was. And it was funny because he was just complaining. He was like, this is so stupid. Like it's, it's hurting my business because I'm getting limit. I'm getting soft banned when previously I was sending out, you know, hundreds of connections a day. And I just remember thinking like, have you ever just considered like not doing that? And just like actually like genuinely like forming connections. And he he was just kind of like, it was like, I was speaking another language. He was just like, no, that, that doesn't work. (laughs) I was like, Okay, well, that's how I do it, but what do I know? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's like, what's better? Having 100 people follow follow you or whatever, connect with you, or having one genuine conversation? Like, that's, there's a huge distinction between the two, and people mistake one for the other and vice versa. Um, my other... It's funny that as you were sharing this story about that person who didn't follow up, let me share this first. Most follow-ups, the sale doesn't happen until after the seventh follow-up or the seventh no. And again, you didn't technically give this guy a no, you gave him a not now and he gave up. And so he gave up literally off the first one. Right. Statistically speaking, he had six more to go and he gave up. 
And so if he's doing that and just going for the person who says yes on the first try, he's missing all of these other huge sales that would potentially fill his pipeline, not tomorrow, but years from now, where he would then have like the sustainable pipeline of people getting closer and closer to the finish line. And that's, that's again, it's another mistake. I think from a business perspective, this is the thing that really pisses me off is they treat new customers better than their old or existing customers. I, my phone broke, this was a few years back and I can't remember what service I was with, but I called them and I was like, Hey, my phone broke. You guys typically give me a brand new phone. If I just do another program, blah, blah, blah. They're like, sorry, we don't have that program for existing customers. We don't do that anymore. And I was like, all right, well, how much is the new phone? They're like, it's like a thousand bucks or something ridiculous. And I was like, Jesus. So I hung up. I was like, well, let me think about it. That's another, that's an objection. That's a no that they could have asked. What are you thinking about? They let me go. So they potentially could have lost the sale right there. So I Google it and they had this program, same company. If you buy one phone, you get a second line free and, and then you, or you can get an iPad and all this stuff. And I'm like, hold up. So I called them back and I was like, Hey, wait a second. I'm an existing customer. You have no way for me to get a phone, but new customers can get a new phone and an iPad for signing up. They're like, yeah. I was like, great. Cancel my contract. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, well, why do you want to cancel your contract? I was like, cause then I'm no longer a customer. And then I can take part of this, this special, this promotion. And so I had to go through this whole song and dance of actually canceling to rejoin. And that's another huge fatal flaw is treat the people who already do it, who have done business with you or are going to do business with you better than the people who have never done any business with you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's such a simple concept and it's, it's like you, this really pisses me off because I remember, um, you know, it's, it's like, for example, we just changed from AT&T to a different carrier. I've been on AT&T for gosh, man, 20 years at least. Well, my rates were basically doubling and it was kind of like, what is going on here? Like why this makes no sense. And it's like, well, yeah, we're just changing how we do things. And I was like, this is, this is insane. I've been with you guys for 20 years. Um, but you have the same thing with cable companies. I mean, think about, you know, you get a better deal from your cable company. If you're buying like the premium channels for the first time versus like, I remember in college, we would, we would get on showtime cause you'd get like crazy, like six months to a year deal. Then we would cancel and then we would just do the deal again because there'd be no perks for being an actual long-term customer. It's wild to me. Anytime a, a customer has to jump through hoops to get the best deal, like you've screwed up. Like I remember, so you know those, um, I love those, um, like hibachi, uh, style, um, restaurants, you know, like Shogun or whatever. Well, my wife and I, we were just talking about this on one of our first dates. We went to one of these kinds of places and they, I don't know what was going on that day. If they were like short staffed or what, but they basically, and you're already, you know, kind of shoulder to shoulder at one of these tables. Well, they had brought in extra chairs to the point where like, you know, you were literally like squeezed in with other people. Um, I mean, they had totally overloaded this table. 
So I go to the, the, the host or whoever it was. And, um, this was 10 plus years ago. And I basically was like, Hey, I'm, I'm here on a date. Like we're kind of just looking for a nice dinner. Um, and you know, hibachis are pretty expensive too. You're paying a bit of a premium to sit at this table. So I was like, Hey, this is kind of silly. Um, I think we'll just wait for just the next available table. Like we don't mind waiting. And they're like, Oh, well, no, we can't, we can't let you wait. Like we have to seat you at this table. And I was like, well, that doesn't make much sense. I was like, so what do you, if you can't wait, like, what do you do with like the new customers who walk in, like who walk in from now on? And she's like, Oh, they'll, they will wait until they can be seated at the next table. So I was like, so if I was to leave with my wife and be gone and then come back as a new customer, then I would be able to wait for the next table. And she was like, yeah, but that would be ridiculous. And I was like, it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> it? It would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And so you could just see like the light bulb. And she was like, yes. Okay. You guys can just wait over here then. And we waited and we got the next table. It was like 10 minutes later. It wasn't a big deal. But I just think it's so funny. Like when your customers are having to game your stupid system, you've, you've designed something that is, is a bit silly. So, you know, definitely I agree with you. I think take care of your current customers um, rather than making their life all the more difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's, I ran a martial arts school a number of years ago and it was the first real business I actually ran. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did read a book, lots of books on the topic. And one of the books recommended, it said, you know, carve out time once a week and walk into your business as a brand new customer and see it from their perspective, from their experience. And it sounds like that business lost connection of that, that, that hostess did. And, and it sounds like she had a little aha moment, but we lose, we totally lose that. I actually, so we have a few different marketing programs that go out to our existing clients, people who have already done business with us, the people who have already had, we have an established relationship with them. I make sure that everybody on my team gets all of the pieces. So if we're sending out a gift and it's, let's say it's a $70 mug set, everybody on the team gets it. And everybody on the team has to evaluate the entire experience from how did the package arrive? Was it banged up? Was it dirty? Was it scuffed? Were the corners smashed? How did that exterior appear to you? When you opened it, how was that experience? When you pulled the tissue paper out, how was that experience? And essentially, re, just evaluate the entire thing from the recipient's point of view and improve it for the next time, make it better. And that's where we came up with, if there's a card that you get in the mail that you look at and toss, we're not sending it. That's We're not trying to create landfill. Like We're trying to create a mini experience with this person and bring them some sort of value, bring them something they didn't have before without asking for anything, just show up authentically, like, but actually show up. Don't tell them you're showing up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. By the way, we, you know, we treat our customers as number one. Okay. But, but do you really, 
or <laughs> is this a marketing statement? It's like I was in a business uh, years ago. I was in a business. I, I was because I do a lot of like leadership development too. And I was in this HR um, section of the business and they had like this really awesome like mural on the inside of the business, like on like their break room or something. And I was like, oh, it was something about like our employees are you know, and it was like some acronym, amazing, awesome, whatever, who cares? But so it was there. And so I turned to the HR director and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And she like, she was like, oh, that, oh uh, yeah. Some marketing company put that up. I don't know. And like, that's, that's so much what we do though. It's like, you say all the stuff, but very few are like actually, you know, doing the thing. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, by the way. I just, <laughs> just got a kick out of thinking about it. No, I I'm on the same page. It's similar to mission statements. You know, it's like, oh, this is a really cool mission statement. How'd you come up with it? Oh, we hired a company to write it for us. And you're like, so it's not even authentic. It's not even what your company believes. My in. favorite with mission statements is when you're talking to the, and this is, by the way, this ties in because when we talk about like customer experience, I think what you said, seeing it through the customer's eyes is so important because there's so much ego and clout when you run your business and thinking like, Oh, we're the only ones who do this. We're the only ones, but like some of the mission statements, I love talking to business owners where I'm like, Oh yeah, nice mission statement. Um, like, what do you think about it? Oh, our, I love it. And our employees love it too. And then you go to the employee. Hey, so like what's y'all's mission statement? Uh, do we have one? I, is it on the website? Like, where would I, where would I find it? You know, like they don't even, <laughs> they don't even care, you know? And so it's like, you talk to customers, you know, and it's like, I'll be like, well, if I asked your customers, would they say that you're amazing and awesome? Well, yeah, of course they would. Okay. So, so can I, oh, well, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just so funny. The disconnect that happens there. There's really a big disconnect. So I have, um, I had, when I got into real estate, I hired early on a, um, a business coach. And that was one of the things was to work on the mission statement and the way that I had to work on it, which was actually really hard and it was fun, but I had to go through all of the reviews my clients had written and actually take their words and use them in our mission statement. And then I didn't just write it. I sat down with my team and everybody had input as to how do we want to shape this and, and what's the direction and, and actually be influenced not by me and my vision, but influenced by the people who've actually experienced us. And then the, the employees that are working from within this thing to try to build it all, um, which is a much different approach. It was, I'm not saying it's perfect or I'm doing things, all things right. Uh, but that one thing really, that really helped shape it in a different direction than I would have taken it if I was just left to my own devices. And I think that's the insight is it's not just the collaboration of it, but, I, and I love that you were used the word experience also, because this is like probably the main thing that I do with good advice with my customers is creating those customer experiences. Um, so many of us are obsessed with our business. Like, why wouldn't we be like we, many of us, like, like I quit my full-time job to do good advice, um, four years ago. So of course I'm going to be passionate about it, but thinking about how you collaborative collaboratively built the mission statement. I think in the same way you let your customers guide how you design your business. Like I've had, I've had, uh, I think of two customers. I had one customer in the past where his customers were really ripping him apart about his business. And I remember him saying, well, if they don't like it, they can go somewhere else. Cause that's not the, that's not the company I'm building. And I just remember thinking how stupid it was. Cause I was like, you're, 
your customers are going somewhere else. Like that's why we're talking is because they don't like what you're selling. And then I think of a second customer who she would do like, um, basically like interior design work. And she would do like a big Pinterest board for her customers. And it was really obnoxious because she was spending like all this time creating these Pinterest boards, like rather than like actually getting into the homes and doing like the actual interior design. And so we had this, this, crossroads point where she was like, I'm overwhelmed. I, this is taking up too much time. This isn't working. And I was like, you should get rid of the Pinterest boards. And she was like, why well, I, I couldn't do that because you know, I love doing the Pinterest boards. And I was like, yeah, but do your customers love the Pinterest boards? And she's like, well, of course they love it. And I was like, hang on, hang on. Do they love the Pinterest boards or do they love you actually redesigning their home more? Well, they love re redesigning the home more. Exactly. So like, let, let what they love guide what you're providing rather than, you know, whatever hobbyist creative in you is wanting to do. Uh, and in her case, it actually totally transformed her business. I mean, it quadrupled her revenue. I mean, it totally turned it upside down, but the point is, you know, you have to build a business that your customers are constantly giving feedback and guiding you to create rather than, you know, whatever you, <laughs> you know, put the flag in the sand, this is what I'm making. So same with the mission statement. That's a tricky one. And sometimes it just takes an outside set of eyes, like a coach to, to give you the observation of like, Hey, maybe you should reevaluate this thing. I think the tricky thing is from the entrepreneurial position is you do have natural things that people resonate with that you naturally are trying to sell them. And then there's the unnatural, this new concept or this new thing or this thing that you're trying to do differently and you're trying to introduce that. And then it's a fine dance to marry the two to, to get to that point. But sometimes it's too new or it's too different and you have to abandon it. And other times you just have to stick to it, but it's hard figuring it out. I think the true, what is the true definition of entrepreneurship? Um, test and try until have enough money to continue to test and try until it works. Something like that. I mean, I haven't heard that, but I think it's, I think it's brilliant though. I mean, like what's the joke? I, I can't think what the joke is, but it's like, um, it's something to the effect of our grand opening was a huge success. It only took five times. <laughs> and actually it's backed up by the way, like Uber launched like, you know, three or four times, like, all these businesses that, uh, and, and frankly, it's why I get really nervous, you know, bringing it back to, you know, being a realtor. Um, I get really nervous with sort of the bright eyed, bushy tailed realtors in my area who come in hard and fast spending a lot of money because like, I think about, I, I, I talked to one, uh, sort of been right before COVID, um, in 2019, she had just quit her job, was stepping into full-time doing, being a realtor. And she had just spent, well, actually when we sat down, she was like, yeah, I'm thinking about this commercial I'm going to do on TV. Uh, no customers yet, by the way, she's like, I'm going to do this commercial. And I was like, well, how much is it going to cost you? And she's going to cost $10,000. And I was like, I, I would not do that because you need cash to survive long enough to exactly what you're saying, test and try. Uh, and in her case, I said that and she was like, okay, well, I already paid for it. So <laughs> Uh, and, uh, she didn't make it, unfortunately. I mean, COVID happened right after. Um, so like many businesses, she didn't make it, but I think, I think that is a brilliant statement though. Test and try and make sure you have enough money to be able to keep doing that for sure. Yeah. I thankfully 
early on, I had some really good coaches. And one of the piece of advice that I got was how much runway do you need to feel comfortable? Is how many, how much in reserves in your bank account, in your savings account, how many months of savings do you need to where you can just not wake up in cold sweats in the middle of the night? And I ran the test on myself. It's like, okay, if I have one month, how do I feel? And I was like, terrible. I was like, three months, how does that feel? I'm like, not so good. Six months, nope. Nine months, mm-mm. And so I decided on 12 months, I needed 12 months of reserves to feel comfortable. And then from that day forward, I look at, let's say I'm going to do a marketing strategy and it's going to cost me, let's say it's $5,000 a month. So I multiply that by five or 12 rather, 12 months. And then I make sure I have that much money in the bank before I make a decision to do it. So then this way, I don't have to wake up in cold sweats or after three months and we're just catching momentum, I have to give it up because I ran out of money. Yeah. Like I just pay 2K for like this marketing thing that I'm doing and the way I approach it's very similar. It's, and I think this is good advice for anyone when you, when you weigh risk first reward, um, if it doesn't work or pan out at all, what does that do for your business? So in my case, I spent 2K on this thing. Um, the upside's really great. The downside is I wasted 2K. And so for me, I think, okay, what does that do to my overall standard of living, the money in the bank? If I was to take 2K, and and by the way, this isn't to say like every dollar doesn't matter or anything like that, but it's like, yeah, I could live without that $2,000. But if you're spending money, and this is so common, by the way, I talked to someone who was starting a coffee shop and, um, it was a mobile coffee shop. And so she needed to put up 40 K for like this, this van she was going to buy and get all, you know, wrapped and set up and stuff. And I was like, okay, so if you spend the 40 K, what happens if it doesn't work? And she kind of jokingly was like, well, it better work. Cause it's my life savings. And like, that's, that's the point is if it doesn't pan out and you're ruined, those are bad investments for your business. Yeah. That's scary. It's, I mean, there are people that go all in and they win big and there's people that go all in and they lose big and it's figuring out well what's the the survivorship bias like it's gonna of course i'm gonna make it right and i've just i've just i've just gotten to the point of where i'm comfortable with my own stupidity where it's like okay some people have gone all in and they made it big i just i just assume that i'm one of the dummies who would not would not serve like zombie apocalypse. I'm probably getting eaten first, you know? And so just assuming that I'm not special in that way has helped me be more objective with my decision-making in that, okay, I'm not going to spend all of my savings on this investment because I don't know if it's going to actually pan out. Instead, I'm going to put 2k here. I'll put another 3k here. Um, and that's, that's how I've approached it. Which I think is really smart. And especially being, a smaller business, you know, we don't have gobs of revenue just pouring in all the time. It's having a plan, figure it out. But I think it, it, this ties back into the early part is don't stop doing those little things that are working, like sending those note cards and being in contact. Add this other stuff, but make sure you're keeping this other stuff. And if you can't, if your plate's overfilling, then you strategically try to hire somebody to take off the lower level pieces off of your plate so you could build on that. Um, Blake, 
Always a pleasure, man. I always love our chats. I, I feel re-energized for my business. Listen, we're gonna. I'm gonna have you back on in the future. I just uh, thoroughly. I always enjoy our conversations. I feel like there's so much more to unpack and dig through to get to a really understanding how to get to that 1,000 raving fans. If people are interested in connecting with you directly, what's the best way? So I would say you can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Blake. It's Blake Bins, literally B-I-N-N-S. You can email me, Blake, at goodadvicecoaching.com uh, or definitely come mosey over to the Good Advice Podcast where I just will, I continue to ramble about <laughs> simple concepts that can revolutionize your business. So you can check that out as well. It's a great podcast. I find myself, it's one of my defaults when I go work out, I play podcasts and I just try to fill my head with good stuff as I'm as I'm doing my workout routine and, and yours is on the short list of go-tos. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. My pleasure.